Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. A few weeks ago, some of us uh, church staff, we drove up to Madison, Wisconsin to get away and, and to meet and, and plan. And, and as we were driving to the hotel, nostalgia just hit me. I uh, See, I grew up outside of Madison, Wisconsin, but when I was 16, I got a job in an auto body shop in, in an industrial part, uh, park uh, within the city. So I worked across the street from this old sugar factory, and I worked in this really cool old building. It was like an, an old airport hangar that they had converted into this, this auto garage. And so I saw this factory driving by it, and, and as we were driving, I was like that annoying passenger, and I told Brian, I was like, bro, turn down the street. I, I got to see if that like, old hangar is still there. And we couldn't find it. Because everything was like, you know, rehabbed and, and gutted, and now it's like the nice part of town. All th- everything's like retrofitted and, you know, industrial modern. But when I got into my hotel room, I opened up my window shade, and there she was. Like that old hangar, and it just, it just took me back. Here, here's the old hangar I'm talking about. They, they rehabbed. It's not, it's not an auto body shop anymore. It's actually a brewery. Leave it to Wisconsin. But they, they kept the old bones and, uh, of everything. And so I just sat there in my hotel room, and I just, I just stared out the window. I felt like I was 16 again. I was like looking at those, those parking spots. I remember driving my, my dad, you know, 16, and didn't have a car yet. I remember driving my, my dad's red Ram truck and parking that thing. And, and then the big bay uh, doors were, were still there. We, we would open those on a nice day. I can still feel the breeze coming through that garage. Soap suds would always surround the grates on the floor. I can still smell the soap and, and the wax. There's this old man named Fred that I worked with. He was the most vulgar guy I've ever met, and he was the oldest guy I've ever met. Like someone dug him up from somewhere, and he would he would take the vacuums in the in the shop, and he would he would empty them onto the floor, looking for loose change that people had vacuumed up. He's just like this crazy old man. I love that. So many cool stories though. Like in that parking in that parking lot, I did something really stupid. It was a really hot summer day. It was like it had to be 100 degrees out, and the boss had me working outside on, on the car lot. And I was driving this truck that had this pressure washer on the back. So during break, I sat on the tailgate of the truck. I was sweating. I was like, man, I just, I just, like, I just want to be like doused with water. And I saw the, the spray gun. I was like, oh, I'll just like spray myself off with that. So I you know, held it point blank to my head, shot myself, blood running like down my face everywhere. I was trying to wipe it real quick so the other guys didn't see me and make fun of me. Stupid. Uh, but I, you know, so many things happened in that, that little, that little hangar in the corner of the, the body shop was this, uh, this old stereo and it seemed to only ever play uncle cracker and kid rock, like on repeat all day, you know, I want to get lost in your rocking. I like, I can't hear that song without just like thinking I'm back in that, that old garage. Like some things just take you back, maybe a song or maybe a smell Anytime I smell leather, it reminds me of riding on the back of my dad's motorcycle with my nose pressed into his, his leather jacket. Like Sights, sounds, smells, they can, just, they can just take you back. And in those rare moments is when you realize, man, life's going quick. Like in some ways, it feels like, geez, just last week I was clocking out with that. Remember those old stamp you know, cards, those time clock cards? You know, it felt like last week I was clocking out with, with that old punch card. It feels like yesterday I was trying to build up the courage to ask a, a girl out from the neighboring town, and then I blinked, and now here we are married with kids, and I got a gray popping through my beard. And that just hits, like, man, tomorrow's coming. 
Tomorrow I'll be giving my girls away. Tomorrow I'll be driving down this street showing my grandkids this church and talking about the memories that, that we're making right now. It's like, don't blink. And that reality can hit you in many different ways. Like it hurts to think about it. A lot, a lot of times people don't want to think about it because it hurts, but it's actually a really good hurt. And it's this feel that James wants us to feel as we read what we're about to read. James brings us to this almost nostalgic feeling, a moment that he wants us all to experience together. So let's do it together. We're going to be in James chapter 4 today. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It's page 1013 in the Bibles, in the chairs. James chapter 4. We've been in this book for uh, several weeks now, just slowly walking through the book and pulling out these, these gold nuggets that Jesus' little brother James wrote. But James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Let me pray, and we'll jump right into this. God, I thank you so much for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a great and, and mighty God. We also thank you that you cared enough to write to us, to communicate to us. And this is one of your main ways, your main avenues of communication is through your word, through the corporate studying of your word. So God, you are going to speak to us in a mighty way right now. I ask that we tune in, that we listen, that we embrace this moment in seriousness as we hear from the creator. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if this is okay to say in church or not, but sometimes it feels like the Bible just doesn't make sense. Doesn't it? You ever run into that? He's like reading the Bible, like this, this, just, this, isn't, this isn't making any sense. If you haven't ever felt that, you probably haven't read it. Because there are times you're just like, man, I, I'm trying to read here, but I don't know what to do with this. Especially when you're reading the Bible and it seems to like contradict itself. And it does seem to contradict itself in, in a few areas. Uh, for example, check this out. This is Proverbs 21.5. It's a great verse. It says this. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. So you need to plan things out. Good planning leads to prosperity. Any planners in here? Few? Okay. My wife is one of you freaks. It drives me nuts. Like, I, oh, so if, I, if I leave town with, with my wife, we have like this detailed itinerary for each day. Like included in the, in the itinerary are details of like the Airbnb, the color of the house we're staying in, the, the thread count on the sheets that we'll be sleeping on. You know, we'll have like a meal itinerary and like a backpack full of, full of snacks. Like my wife just fully embraces this verse. Last year, she went to Colorado with some friends to go like hiking. She had the grocery stores that they were going to visit picked out. She had the trails, the car, the times. It was ridiculous. I don't do that with my friends at all. Last time I left town with a buddy, I was walking out the door and Nicole asked me, hey, where are you staying tonight? Well, I have no idea. How would I, how, how would I, know, how would I know? She's like, well, what do you mean you have, have any idea? I was like, well, it means I have no idea where I'm going to be staying tonight. She's like, well, what are you going to eat? Well, whatever we find. You know? She's like, all you're bringing is like this, this weekend bag and a fishing pole. I was like, yeah. Where are you going to fish? I don't know, somewhere there's water. Like find a river or something like that. And you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight? I have no idea where I'm going to sleep tonight. Many a night have I slept in my truck in 20 degree weather eating gas station tamales. And I'm okay with that. But the reality is, is this verse proves true. My trips with Nicole are far more comfortable, far more prosperous because she, she plans it out. You've likely experienced this verse for yourself. So scripture says... You have to plan. But then other parts of scripture seem to contradict this. 
So James, for example, Jesus' little brother, who would have read this verse, who would have studied this verse as a little kid, who maybe even, even would have memorized this verse, leave it to little brother to go against and contradict. Because look how James starts out the text for today. He said, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Aha, James is on my side. Take that, all you planners. You have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring, so why even make a plan? It feels like a contradiction, doesn't it? Scripture tells us to plan in many places. Like, it wasn't just even in that place. Like for, uh, there's other places, Proverbs 14, 15, says the prudent carefully consider or plan their steps. The wise sit down and, and plan out their next moves. Or, uh, or Jesus, James's big brother, said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. Jesus said, you have to plan. It would be stupid not to plan. But then James comes along and gives us this. So we look at this first verse in today's text. We go, okay, so what do we do with this? To plan or not to plan? That is the question. And James is so brilliant. What he's doing is he's throwing us into some tension, planning and not planning. And when we engage that tension, we actually find something very beautiful. We have to unpack it a little bit more to get there. So we'll start with this. This is in your notes, but we'll start with, with this truth right here. James isn't against planning. He's against presumption. He's not against planning. He's against presumption. So whether you're a planner like my wife or you're more of a free spirit, you should plan. Part of being a good steward is having a financial plan. Part of leading a team is setting goals and then having a plan to accomplish said goals. We don't stumble into prosperity. We plan to it. That's what scripture says. For example, this week, I'm, I'm taking 45 bridge people to, to Israel. Can't wait. I'm so excited. But could you imagine if when we landed in Tel Aviv, you know, in the airport and, and we get our bags and, you know, we, we circle up and I look at everybody and I say, so, well, what do you guys want to do? Where, where do you want to stay tonight? Yeah, that would be crazy. To maximize this trip, I have our itinerary, our hotels, our food, our maps. You know, without that, we just waste money and time and, and a whole trip. Now, if it were just me going, we'd have no plan. But we have 50 people going, so it's like, all right, we, we have to plan. Got to plan. The problem is, is in our planning, those of us who are really good planners especially, we, be, we can become very presumptuous. It's this hyper-focus on the plan. Everything becomes about the plan. This is the plan. This is the routine. This is what we're eating. This is when the kids are going to take a nap. This is when the house is going to be cleaned. This is when you're going to return home. And we latch onto the plan, and we hyper-focus, and we live by the plan. And when that happens, we leave little to no room for God to redirect us. For example... Some of us have a five-year plan of getting the heck out of Illinois, don't we? Like, we are done, out of here to the promised land of lighter traffic and no tolls and less taxes. Like, that's like, that is our plan. I'm not saying it's a bad plan. My question is, is have you left room in that plan for God to change those plans? Because if that's your plan and you're sticking to it and there's no room for God to lead you and break that plan, well, then the reality is, is you're this person that James is talking about in verses 13 and 14. See, God isn't against planning. He's against presumption. Because presumption, and I'm not overstating this, presumption will waste your life. It's like 
when I was 14, I, I, uh, I got a job at a family-owned grocery store, and I hated, I hated our Saturday shifts because our Saturday shifts were so long. Uh, they, they were 8 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., five and a half hours. I am overworked. It's not like a you know, quintessential millennial. Yeah, I lived, though, for my weekends, which were Saturday afternoons. I lived for Saturday afternoons when my shift was over. At one time, you know, I was 14 years old. My dad picked me up from, from work. I get into the truck, and I said to him, like, all right, Dad, now my day starts. And he replied to me, and he said, no, your day started at 8 a.m. And at first, I was like, yeah, I know. You know, I'm not an idiot. But then I got what he was saying. He was saying, don't waste your whole present by living for some future thing that you think you have planned. My day started at eight. Some of us are, are living like that, you know, counting down the days for retirement or counting down the days, you know, for I can really enjoy life, counting down the days until, you know, we can move, counting down the days until we're out of school, counting down the days until I find a spouse. And you're living as if the present doesn't really matter because I'm just trying to reach into the future and grab this plan that I have. Your day starts at eight, not at 1.30. You don't even know if you're going to live to 1.30. Your vapor might end before then. So make the most of now. Don't live for some future plan of yours. Because, well, first off, God might have different plans, but second off, you might die. Like, wow, Junior, you're such a downer. Well, that's what James says in the next verse. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I bought a little teapot a few months ago because I wanted to pretend that I was like a classy Englishman. Come on, if I were to have you like come over to my house and you came in and I was like, hey, I made a pot of tea for us, you would think, you know what, he might look homeless, but at least he's like, you know, he's elegant. So I bought this, this little teapot and before night, it just kind of helps me wind down at night, you know, some sleepy time tea. And so when I warm the water up, I often just sit there and watch the, the steam come out, you know, as it warms up. And every time I watch the steam come out, I think of this very verse right here. I'm that, I'm that little vapor, just a little mist, just here and gone within a moment. Just don't blink. It's gone. And it's a humbling, it's a very powerful thought for us to sit in. It sobers us up. It lifts us from that like hyper focus that we have on our plans and our routines. We're just a mist. It's a short little life. And yet we waste it like we're living forever. We presume that we have plenty of time. Presuming that we can control the future with enough planning and enough routines. And James says, stop. Those subconscious presumptions will waste your vapor-like life. You are a mist. Don't blink. This hit me, this hit me big the other night. My, my family and I, we just got back from vacation. We went down to um, Kentucky and we spent a week down there. It was a blast. Riding horses and, and hiking and, and fishing. And, and Nicole found this, this great spot. I gotta show you a picture of this because it's just a beautiful spot that, that, that she found. And so we spent like a week here just having a blast together as a family. So much fun just, just camping out there. The last day, you know, we pack up and we're driving up you know, north on I-65, pulling the camper, and, and the sun was setting on our last day of, of vacay. And, and I looked in the rearview mirror at my kids in the back seat of the truck, five, seven, nine. And I thought, I don't have many trips left with them, especially at this age. Like, it won't be long if God allows. It'll just be like me and their mama driving to go see them and their kids. And I already have that planned out when we do go see them. I, I want an Airstream by then. Nicole won't let me get an Airstream because it's not practical for kids and it's too expensive. But by that time when the kids are out, I'm, Grandpa's bringing an Airstream. I don't care what Grandma says. Grandpa put in his time, he's getting his Airstream. But, but honestly, you know, driving though, driving and just thinking of, of those little girls 
won't be long, and, and I'm gonna be pulling something to their house to go see, see, see their kids. I, I felt a little emotion. Like these, these little girls who I just spent a week with, you know, running around, playing imaginary stories around the campsite, running into the forest and coming back out with little treasures that they found out in the woods. One day I'll be sitting by the fire and it's gonna be a lot quieter. And gosh, I'm gonna miss those little voices and, and the laughter and the snuggles. Like tomorrow's is just coming too quick. I'm often so guilty of sticking to my plans and my routines more than really enjoying the present. Like so often when I come home from the office, often I'll walk into the door and, and the house isn't like a mess, but like the girls love to, you know, craft. And so, you know, they'll have like some sort of like craft at the table, you know, freaking glitter and glue. And, and my plan was to like come home, you know, enjoy dinner and relax with my cup of classy tea. But, but I can't when it looks like a unicorn exploded on our dining room table. And so, you know, I, I, I get very task rigid, you know, clean it up, put it away, get the table set, clean up after dinner, bath time, bedtime, you know, if all goes according to plan, I get an hour with Nicole. Like, stick to the plan. It's the only way to survive. But the season that I'm in is just a vapor. And the truth is, I'm toward the end of this vapor with them in the house. Soon I'll be walking into an emptier, quieter house. And I'll be sitting in my chair thinking back to those days that I'm in now with all the laughter. My presumption often keeps me from enjoying right now. I'm not going to have them forever. I'm certainly not going to have them this age forever, but my arrogant presumptions blind me from that reality. This is what James is getting at. Don't blink. Some of us are living like we're going to live forever. Some of us spent this last week like we're going to live forever. Some of us treat our spouses like we're going to have them forever, and it's not forever. And that day is coming sooner than you think when death do we part will happen. It's just a vapor. I talked to a, a recently widowed woman one time, just lost her husband. She said to me, she said, Junior, I look at our marriage and I just wish I was less of a, a witch. I didn't realize how cruel I was to him. Just nitpicky all the time until death like lifts you from the hyper focus and you realize how I just spent my whole marriage in all those days. Some of us are enjoying our health like we're going to have it forever. How, how many elderly have I talked to that said, man, I wish I could just have one more hike, just one more hike, one more hike out into, into, into God's creation. Like we sit around as if we have that chance forever. Some of us, you know, we, we give like, like we have forever to invest in the next life. We, we hoard and we save and we stockpile. We want to live this generous story, this generous life, but our presumptions are hurting our next life. Some of us parent like we're going to parent forever. Like how we talk to our kids, how we spend time with them, what we teach them, how we come alongside of them. We're living as if we're going to live forever with them being little. I talked to Denim, our campus pastor here this afternoon about this. Denim lost his mom when he was two years old. A drunk driver hit their car. And he said to me, he said, Junior, I, just thinking back to that, my mom didn't know when she buckled me into that car seat that that'd be the last interaction she'd have with me. Some of us interact as though we're just going to live forever. Dumb arguments, withholding forgiveness, living all offended and living bitter and cold shoulders. And it takes James to call us out and say, stop, no, knock it off. Our presumptions lead us into sin. Our presumptions waste our lives. And yet we live with so many presumptions. We're very, very task driven instead of relational driven, making our plans and leaving no room for God's audibles, holding on to all these petty arguments. And James is saying part of our sanctification process is fully embracing the brevity of life. 
Those who live knowing the brevity of life, they just live different and you can tell. He continues on in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Some people take this to the extreme and get really weird with this. Like one time I was talking to a guy and I asked him, I was like, hey man, where are you going for, for lunch this afternoon? And he said, uh, if the Lord wills, Jimmy John's. <laughs> Why can't you just say Jimmy John's? Like, like don't take this and be weird. James is not saying, you know, vocally say this every time you talk about the future. You know, good night kids. See you in the morning. Unless God doesn't will and you die in your sleep. You know, don't do that. Your kids are going to need therapy. That's not, that's not James's point here. He's saying, live with this lens. This is the lens through which you live through. Leave room for God to change your plans. That should always be an option. So my plan is to do this, but I'm completely open to God redirecting me. I think of um, one of our elders at, at, our, at, at the bridge had a retirement plan years ago. He was getting close to retirement. And some of you are there, right? You're like counting down the days for retirement. It's awesome. I can't wait to, to get to that countdown. But um, he was counting down the days for retirement. And, and this is around the time when our church decided to, to build a building. And he prayed about it. And he felt like God was pushing him or asking him to continue to work three more years so that he could give more to this project. So as he was counting down, he tacked on an extra three years. He had his plan but it was submitted to God's plan. James is saying, have your plans, but keep them submitted to God's plans, including daily routines. Some of us live and die by our routines, don't we? Just kind of so thrown off when like our daily routine is interrupted. Anyone like that at all? I'm, I can be like that. Especially like young stay-at-home moms. Hats off to you guys, because nap time is like sacred, right? Like you need that nap time. Routines are a survival. But are our routines submitted to God? Is there room for God in our days to throw us a curveball and for us to say, okay, well, if that's how God's taken our day, if that's how God's taken my day, then that's okay because God's the writer of the story. I'm not. This is what James is getting at. He continues on in verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. They're kind of blunt there, right? Like James says, our hyper focus on our plans is arrogant. And it makes sense. Like, you know, here we are, we're mere humans, little wisps of, of mist, thinking we can determine the future through our routines and through our plans, thinking we can control and we can have more control if we just plan for more control and routine for more control. And James says, ah, that'd be funny if it weren't evil. He's not pulling any punches. And he continues on in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I love that James finishes this conversation with this verse. Because it's so easy. It's, it's very easy for this whole idea to sound like a, like a self-help TED Talk, doesn't it? Live your life to the fullest, y'all. 2.7 seconds on a pole named Fu Manchu. You know, it's kind of what it, it feels like. But James brings this all to, no, no. If you don't do it, it's sin. If you live as though your plants are your God, then you're living in sin. Because there is a greater God with greater plants. He's going to have his way. And you're going to miss out if you're just stuck on yours. The right thing to do is to loosen your grip on your plans and your routines and be open to what he has for you. But therein lies the tension, doesn't it? All this scripture about planning, plan, 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 count the cost, plan this, plan that. And then James says, yeah, but hold on. Don't hyper-focus on all that. So let's flesh this out more. How, how do we plan and not like hyper-focus on our plans? I'm glad you asked. Three thoughts. First thought is make plans with intentionality. Make plans with intentionality. Start off that. We're going to make plans, but we're going to do it 
intentionally. One of my favorite movie characters is, is the Joker. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is legend. I just, I love him. And my favorite line of his is, is when he says this. He says, I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. You know, I just do things. It's like a dog chasing cars. I just do things. Not sure why. That represents so many people. Just chasing stuff. Promotions, titles, image, followers, friends. Just chasing stuff like a dog chasing cars. Wouldn't even know what to do with it if we got it. Never, never sat down and asked ourselves, why am, I, why am I pursuing this? Why am I putting all of my energy? Why am I spending all this time going for that? Some of us live with zero intentionality. Heck, we don't even have calendars. Just kind of do whatever we feel like. We're over here, over here, over here, over here. Just no plans. Others of us have calendars, but there's no intentionality with our calendars. We just kind of throw stuff on the calendar. It's, it's, not, plan, it's not through planning or you know, goal-driven. We're just throwing you know, events and sports and you know, whatever we see, whatever we like, we're throwing it on the calendar. This is why I love when, when Moses, Moses asked God, I love what Moses asked God for. He said, teach me to number my days, oh God. Teach me to number my days. When I realize my days are few, when I put a number on each day that I live, I'll live with more intentionality. I'm not chasing cars or just doing whatever I feel like. We're intentional with each numbered day. The way I think about it is this. It's like, uh, you, ever, you ever go grocery shopping when you're hungry? You ever do that? It's a big mistake, isn't it? It's like a really bad idea to go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Why? Because like everything looks good. You know, and you fill up the cart with everything that looks good, which is mostly junk food. Whenever I gro grocery shopped hungry, I'm like, I'm not grabbing healthy stuff. I'm just grabbing junk food. And then you come home and you're over budget with, with way too much food. Some of us are that way with our calendars. Sit down with our calendars and everything looks good. This sport, that sport, this party, that event, this hangout. Oh, this, yes to that. And then our calendars are so full and we're so busy and we're so exhausted. But then our head is the pillow and we feel like we're just spinning on our wheels here. Not, not feeling like I'm really living. Life is just passing my, me by. This is why Moses asked, God, can you just kind of like zoom me out of all that and teach me to number my days? This is the servant that I want to be, so I'm going to, I'm going to schedule these days for me to serve. This is the husband that I want to be, so I'm going to put these date nights here and here and here. This is the dad. This is the mom that I want to be, so I'm going to block out all of these nights. I'm not saying yes to everything. I'm intentionally making plans that align with who I want to be. Now, that is not easy. What's really not easy is to first realize that you're not good at this. I thought I was really good at this. In fact, I would have like taken a lot of like pride in thinking that I'm really intentional with my calendar. If you had asked me three months ago if I'm good at this, I would have said, absolutely, I am. I am not. In the last three months, I was convicted studying for this. Like in the last three months, I have been confronted by four different people about this very thing. I've been saying yes to just like way too much stuff. This year alone, I had six international trips, uh, four or five of which was, was not planned starting in January. Last month, I had five speaking things that I hadn't planned two months earlier. I'm just saying yes to all of these things because I love the feeling of, oh, I'm wanted, thinking I'm something special. And a few people confronted me about it and said, stop, you're not. You're saying yes to all of this stuff and you shouldn't. And I use the excuse, you know, well, I'll start saying no later on. I just want to, I want to say yes right now, like as if I have forever to start saying no and to start being intentional. Like, I've been headed toward regret. I struggle with this. I'm living it. Numbering our days means being very intentional with each day, saying yes very intentionally and saying no very intentionally, and filling our calendar with that which matters, the healthy stuff. Number two is make plans in pencil. 
So we want to navigate this whole, like, to plan or not to plan, to, not, to plan but not to hyper-focus on the plan, make your plans in pencil. And I would say not just your plans, but your routines. It's all in pencil. Everything that we plan on doing, routines and everything, it should all be in pencil. Because we serve a God who doesn't abide by our plan and our routine. He's a God who likes to shake things up. And sometimes we get upset with him for it. And that should be a reminder to us that ah, you're writing in pen here. You're writing pencil. We have to be okay with him shaking things up. Followers of Jesus, we consider ourselves servants, don't we? Servants don't get to make their own plans usually. They don't have the final say over their routines. The boss ultimately has that say. We have to live like that. Now, this doesn't mean that you're non-committal. Don't be that quintessential millennial. You know, like, oh, I'll probably be there. You know, hopefully, we'll see. You know, no, no, commit. Our yes is yes. In fact, James will say that in the next chapter. Our yes is yes. This, means you, this doesn't mean like you don't commit to things. It means you roll with things when they don't go according to plan. We don't freak out. Because often in our unraveling of our plans is where we find God up to something. But when we freak out, we miss it. Many of us are missing what God is doing because we are so stuck on our plan and our routine. When Nicole and I got married, I was asked to step in with the youth ministry as an interim as they look for a youth pastor. And so when I took this job, Nicole was finishing up nursing school, and we had, we'd sat down, we decided, okay, we'll commit to the bridge for a year. That, that, was, that was our commitment, because she's finishing up nursing school. Okay, so when she's done, and this way I can hand things off to, to whoever, whoever they hire. And we, I was talking to a church in California. Who, their auditorium was an outdoor stadium. It's like, come on, it'd be awesome. So we're like gearing up to head out. 12 years later, we're still here. And we love what God has done. We love the community that God has put us around. We love our kids growing up with family down the street. We love what God is doing in our midst. Like, yeah, sure, Illinois has its issues, but his plan is better. It might be colder, but his plan is, is better. His plan always is. So we just had to make that in pencil. So if you want to move or if you want to switch jobs, if you want to buy this or that, if you want to sell the business, if you want to transfer schools, it's great. Like, dream, think, apply, plan, but make that in pencil and submit those plans to the boss. Be open to him having different plans for you. We're not the director. We're the servant, and we tell him, we do it wherever he tells us to go. Number three is make every plan count. Make every plan count. So you want to plan, but not hyper-focus on plans, like James says. Make every plan count. And I know I'm not saying anything new. I know this seems like a lame, flowery social media picture that your grandma would post. You know, make your plans count. I get that. It's almost why I didn't put this on here, because it seems so redundant and poppy. I, like, I almost hate it. But I, I had to talk about it. This is James's point. His point is you're a vapor. And, and the truth is, whether it's cutesy or not, the majority of people, even majority of Christians, are just wasting their lives because they're living and working and doing life as though they're going to live forever. Some of us are so capable at our jobs. We go to work and we lead out at our jobs. We're very creative with our jobs. We're, we're positively adding to the office, office culture, the team culture. We're fun to be around at our work. We give our work our best, as we should. But then some of us go home and we just sit on our phones. And the ones that we love most don't ever see the best part of us. They don't see us creatively spending time. They don't see us as being fun. And they don't see us leading. We just walk in the door exhausted, tired, easily annoyed, and just scrolling on our phones living with this presumption that we'll always have someone to come home to. Heaven forbid the day comes when you don't, and you walk into an empty space, 
once filled with life, and you sit down with a lot of regret, wishing you could go back and relive those days and do it differently. My, my first day of vacation last week, when we went down to Kentucky, my, my, phone was, uh, my phone was blowing up, and my mind was like everywhere other than with those that I love the most. Like I had, I had vacation on my calendar, but I was, I was absolutely elsewhere. And I'm not sure if Nicole planned this on purpose, but the park, that spot that, that we had parked our camper had zero reception, like zero bars, like backwoods, hillbilly Kentucky, nothing. I drove around trying to find a signal because I needed to send an email. I just, I couldn't find it. So after like a couple hours of trying, I turned my phone off. I threw it in my bag. I sat down by the fire. And immediately when I sat down by the fire, three little girls jumped into my lap. And I just thought like, oh, okay, yeah, this, this is better. There will always be emails to send. There won't always be three little girls who want to share my lap. There will always be a, a phone to hold. There won't always be a hand to hold. You know what the global average screen time is on phones? This isn't counting computers, because I know a lot of us, like, we work on our computers, you know, during the day for work, and I, I wouldn't count that because that's, that's work. Screen time between phone and television, global average is over five hours a day. Five hours a day. Let's just compare that to, to a few different things. The average married couple goes out, just the two of them, one hour a month. That's the average. One hour a month. And some of us are going, I don't even get that. One hour a month to work on the foundational relationship of the home. The average child spends less than an hour a day with their parent. Less than an hour a day. You think about that. The average parent spends five more times on their phone than they do with their kid. We are wasting our short, little, vapored lives. Put things on the calendar, but then be there. Fully there, fully present, making the most, not trying to multitask, fully and completely there, not ruining it with an attitude, not ruining it with distraction, not ruining it with negativity, fully all there. Don't blink, because it'll be over. Have you ever spent time with someone who knew that they were about to die? It, it's sobering. It's uncomfortable. In fact, a lot of people actually run from that. They feel uncomfortable visiting somebody who knows that they're about to die because it's just a very uncomfortable feeling. A few years ago, I got an email from this guy named Steve, and it was like out of nowhere. He had never came to our church. I'd never met him. And I'm not even sure how he got like my contact to reach out. And now I know it was completely God connecting us. Steve wrote me an email, and he wanted to meet. And so we met at a little cafe in Mount Prospect. We sat outside. And just got to talking. He's an interesting guy. Like, uh, he's about mid-50s. Had uh, started a, a couple different businesses. He ended up running a, a fuel company. Fascinating to talk to him. He's a very good conversationalist. And time just flew by as we were hanging out. Toward the end of our conversation, he said, he said Junior, I wanted to hang out. I asked you to hang out because I have just a few months to live. And I just found this out. And I was wondering if, if you would walk with me to whatever's next because I don't know. Like, oh, wow. And we became good friends rather quickly. Uh, lots of hanging out, uh, lots of phone calls, lots of texting back and forth. Uh, Steve ended up giving his life to Jesus, and he wanted to get baptized, but, but he couldn't be around many people because of his immune system. And so during the week, one week, we filled the baptistry up over here, had a couple different staff in here, and, and Steve was, was baptized uh, right, right over here. 
At first, I believed that God brought Steve into my life so that I could introduce Steve to his creator. And that, that was true. And it was beautiful how it all happened. What I didn't know was how much Steve would really impact me. Sitting with Steve was very different than sitting with anybody else. Sitting with Steve was like, our conversations were so extremely intentional. He never sweated the small stuff, complaining about this and that, just never got into that. We never got into politics or what annoys him or arguments that he's in or, or opinions or why he's bothered about that. Like with Steve, every conversation mattered. Every conversation. So much so that it rattled me at first, I was almost uncomfortable with it. But I loved, ended up loving those hangouts. Labor Day weekend that year, I was camping with Nicole and the girls up near Huntley, and I got a call from Steve's wife, and through tears she had said, you know, Junior, can you come? He's been sleeping for the last two days. He'll wake up for, for less than a minute, and when he wakes up, he just says, can I talk to Junior? And so we cut the weekend short, and I drove to his house, walked into his living room, and his wife and his kids were, were surrounding him. And when I walked in, his kids woke him up, and he woke up and he stayed awake. In fact, his kids were, were like taken back that he was awake this long. All of us in the room and Steve was expressing vision for his kids, each of his kids' vision for their life, wanting them to know this God that he was just introduced to. I read some scripture over Steve with the family there. I, I prayed with them. I, I hugged him in his bed and he, he said some things to me that I'll always hang on to get toward the end of talking to me and he just whispered, I'm about to see him face to face, Junior. And the second thing I'm going to tell him is thank you for our friendship. And he closed his eyes. On the way home, I got a call from Steve's wife that, that he had passed. This was his last waking moment. And it was one of the most incredible moments I've ever been part of. It's extremely intentional. It's big perspective, open hearts, not, not withholding any love, not withholding any forgiveness. It's a very, very spiritual moment. And this is exactly what James is getting at here. That there should be this similarity between people who know they're about to die and believers. Because we have our days numbered. And we lean into that discomfort, knowing that our life's a vapor. We don't sweat the small stuff. We're not distracted. We're very intentional. And we make every moment matter. We're not just stewards of money. We're stewards of our calendar. Every conversation we steward, it matters. Every appointment we steward, it matters. Every date, every family time, every family reunion, every meal, it matters to us. Because we know it could very well be the last one we got. And so we make our plans in pencil. We hold them loosely, leaving room for God to direct us and redirect us and tell us where to go. And all along the way, those moments that we get from God, we know they matter and we steward them well. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.